The podcast of this local government meeting is brought to you by Michigan Radio. For more coverage of local government meetings and to find out how you can support this service, go to michiganradio.org.
ready to start? Welcome to the Ann Arbor Human Rights Commission. Um, Denise, we want to start uh, Sure. call. The meeting will be broadcast live on CTN Cable 16, ATT Channel 99, and online at a2gov.org, watch CTN. Public commentary can be made in person or by calling 877-853-5247 or 888-788-0099. Intermeeting ID 996, 996-996, 9403-7874. Okay. Commissioner Cass? Present. Commissioner Meadows? Absent. Vice Chair Gerber? Present. Councilmember Song? Absent. Councilmember Ghazi Edwin? Absent. Commissioner Pesmeiser? Absent. Commissioner Bond? Present. Chair Stanbaugh? Present. Commissioner Collins? Present. Commissioner Winkler is absent. Commissioner Soba? Present. You have a point. Thank you. Um, take a minute to look at the agenda. Are there any additions or changes that you'd like to make? We have a motion to approve the agenda. So move. Second. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Thank you. Um, do we have our guest speaker? Okay. Hmm? Oh, public comment. Oh, Anyone here for public comment? I don't have anyone on screen. Okay. Um, we have uh, two presentations this scheduled for uh, for now, and we will move on a little bit so that we can wait for them to come. Um, approval of the minutes. We have a motion to approve the minutes. So move. Second. All in favor? Oh. That's discussion. Um, these are January minutes. We do not have a meeting in February because of illnesses. Um, and quorum. Um, are there other changes that you would like to make in the minutes? I propose one change on the second page where it says Human Rights Commission resolution to prohibit, and then it says Gov issued ID. I'd like to make it real clear and just say government issued ID. Government item issued. Anything else that anybody's got? Then will we accept the minutes as that amendment? Second. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Opposed? Uh, a brief point of procedure. Uh, Sarah emailed that she's trying to access the meeting virtually, uh, but is having difficulty. I'm unsure if Denise could provide her the link as requested. Thank you. Sure. Thank you. Okay. 
Okay, well then, that, uh, we'll continue until um, until we have uh, notice that uh, City Administrator Dahoney is with us. And also, who are you referring to? Sarah. Yes. Yes. Yep. Send it to the okay. okay. We're gonna send her the link. Mm -hmm. Good, so she can join us. I think we're also expecting Pam. Uh, okay. But in the interim, um, and we do. Not, we were going to have a, a city council report. That was our next. The next thing on our agenda, and we do not have both of our. Our city council liaisons are um, ill or incapacitated <laughs> to come to this meeting, so we're not going to have that. This was going to be a very tight meeting, so okay. we're probably doing all right. Mm -hmm. um, Aiden, I'm going to ask you then about uh, facial recognition. We have not talked about that in a long time. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, as we previously discussed, uh, facial recognition and the hopeful uh, alteration to our city uh, ordinance uh, in relation to facial recognition in the sense that it currently does not exist, we're hoping to have a proposal uh, someday in front of council, is currently in being workshopped by uh, our new city attorney uh, with a focus with Lin Song being a POC as well as Travis as the other POC. Uh, moving forward from there, uh, I need to connect with Lynn, uh, who is not with us tonight, um, who should be and has already connected with our city attorney. Um, from there, we're very hopeful that uh, action can happen much more swiftly now that we are working with a new stakeholder. Uh, additionally as well, I will say that there's been massive interests from across council in supporting such an effort. Additionally as well, there's still a very large uh, uh, public support as well. So we're hoping that those two things um, per help very much put pressure on this in this instance. Um, but I think that in the next meeting when Lynn is here as well, we'll be able to have uh, a more substantive update. Yeah. Do you, th do you think we'll have a chance to look at it as well? We're very interested. That is very much the plan. So. Good. I think uh, moving forward, once we're able to draft language with the city attorney, the plan is to first put it forth in the Human Rights Commission uh, approve it if you are all so inclined uh, and then moving forward we would then with the recommendation of the human rights commission send it to council and the expectation and hope rather is that it would pass there as well thank you that would be super thank you very much Aiden. and yeah as well and then in terms of uh, collaboration in the language um, i'm more than happy in collaboration with uh, uh with Lynn and other folks as well who are interested to draft the actual language but with such uh considerations as well in terms of like the legal precedent and practice needs to go through the city attorney oh, sure. probably multiple times but know that I'm happy to to lead the drafting as well great great um, follow-up on HRC work um, complaints Judah okay yeah so we are tweaking our process for Handling, allocating and handling our complaints within the commission. Um, Denise will continue to feel the original ones, do what she does if it's someone out of jurisdiction to try to connect them with appropriate uh, bodies where they live, uh, then send it on to us. So she'll be sending me the um, 
complaint uh, and um, giving me a text because I never see emails. <laughs> and then uh, I will uh, then either take it or I will allocate it to one of the other people who have been experienced with it. Uh, and then I will also, so if that person is unavailable, they'll let me know and I'll pick the next one on the list. Uh, and also at the same time, I will also find someone who's less experienced. So we have teams of two working on each one. Uh, and again, if that person is uh, unavailable or available, they should let me know as soon as possible. Because if not, then I can go again, go down the list. And so we should always have you know, two people. So two heads are better than one. You can confer. Mm -hmm. One person can, can take the lead. Uh, the other person can, you know, uh, anyway, they'll both collaborate. So that's, that's the essence of it. I'll, I'll put it in writing. Mm -hmm. Linda is also working to revise. We have a checklist at sort of a things that you do uh, in processing complaints that we would more or less try to follow. Uh, I mean, every complaint's different, but there's certain procedural elements that are in common that we'll, we try to follow. So Linda is tweaking that, and um, she'll send that to me, and I'll send that out along with sort of the outline of what I just said. And if there's any issues or questions, just let, let me know, or of course Leslie. But Leslie does uh, so much, I thought, you know, maybe someone else could do some of this. So, <laughs> um, yeah. so that's, what, that's what we're doing for now. We, we are. Um we are working, we're trying to be, become more efficient, more, you know, as professional as possible, but get these things processed as quickly as possible, and that's always a problem for a, a group like ours, but I think we're getting better all the time, and this is going to make a big difference. Thank yeah, you. I think this is a massive step in the right direction in terms of efficiency. I think the calendar-based system was certainly uh, inventive, but I think in this instance, just going off of general capacity based on the day-to-day -day or perhaps the week um, will be most advantageous. And additionally as well, um, I think that the pairing system will be very helpful um, because I would love the opportunity, me and Jude, that we could rock a case so, <laughs> so well. Um, so I think that that would be a wonderful opportunity too. I'm very much in favor of this. I like that. <laughs> okay. Um, we do not have um, City Administrator no. Dohoney, Dohoney but, but I do. But we do have Heather Seifert, yes. and perhaps we should begin with her presentation because we do have a a fairly packed mm. uh, agenda. The presentation is on your monitors. Um, Heather, I can scroll the PowerPoint for you. Okay, is it going to go to them also? Yeah. So they get to see. Can you hear us? Okay. okay. Yeah, I can hear you. I can't see what you have up on the screen set, though, so hopefully I'm not out of sync with what's being shown up on the screen. I have the first slide. Okay, great. Um, the title well, thank slide. You. The title slide, yes. Great. Thank you for having me to this, and I'm sorry I'm not there in person. I wish that I could be there and meet all of you, but my schedule has been a bit of a scramble these past couple days, so I appreciate you accommodating me virtually. Um, yeah, so basically what I wanted to talk to you about is the Equitable Engagement Initiative that we've been involved with for the past year and a half. I did this work as, um, as an employee of the Systems Planning Unit. Um, I was a Community Engagement Specialist as well as a planner. I've now switched over to the Housing Commission as the Director of Housing and Economic Development. 
Um, so maybe perhaps I come back someday and talk about the initiatives related to housing, but for now I want to talk about engagement and the work that we were doing. So the overall goal of this, if you don't mind going to the next slide, um, is to really advance equity um, because the city government itself as well as the community states that we value equity and having meaningful and just engagement processes is critical to advancing equity. So what we wanted to do with this is to develop a shared definition of what equity means and then what policies, guidelines, and practices could be developed um, for Ann Arbor to be the inclusive city that we hope to be. So with that, uh, we city staff, if you don't mind advancing to the next slide, and it should be showing the demographic data. So with that, we did some pre-work, and this is actually data going back to 2019. So uh, back then, myself and some colleagues decided we needed to understand our baseline of who was engaging with the city. So who was attending our meetings, who was taking our surveys. We had a general sense of that, but we wanted to get some data about that. So we started administering a demographic um, uh, survey out to people. Uh, it's completely optional. We can't force people to take the survey. So not everybody at the events took the survey, but many people did. And this is the, what we came up with. Um, so going from 2019, so the year before the pandemic and then going into the pandemic. So all of our online meetings and um, as well as the surveys that we administered. And as you can see, the data shows that um, it's not really represent the people that were engaging with us. It's not really representative of the community. It doesn't match what we are, where we stand with our census data. So we're working to remedy that. Uh, so if you don't mind going to the next slide, which would be about staff education. So what we wanted to do before we started this work is really to ground our staff. And so this effort uh, is a multi-discipline um, multi and multi-department effort. We didn't want it just to be in our department, which was systems planning. Um, we really thought that this should be spread out through the entire city. So the Office of Sustainability got involved. Uh, we had human resources getting involved, our planning department getting involved. And then Laura Orta got involved once they came on board. Um, who else did we have? Our Office of Emergency Services came on board. So we had a number of people involved in this. And so we wanted to educate all of our staff uh, where we're at right now. And so we looked at um, what we were already doing. Uh, so we looked at existing city practices and then local and regional conditions related to equity and then started exploring what other communities are doing. So what are some of the promising practices that other places are doing to advance equity? To dive into our current practices a little bit more on the next slide, what we're doing currently is we have a community engagement toolkit, which has been around for about 10 years. So it's actually been in existence for quite a while, but it wasn't universally applied throughout our organization. What the toolkit offers is a set of questions for people to think through in terms of how to approach an engagement event. So how to scale it appropriately for what the topic is. Uh, does it affect the entire community? Is it neighborhood based? Those are some of the questions involved. Um, we looked at our demographic data collection. So what I just showed you just a moment ago, 
uh, we looked at staff training. So in recent years, we've done some staff training where we've uh, hired people to come in from the International Association of Public Participation to train staff on engagement. So essentially training people how to do engagement plans and to think through engagement. And this is something that started right before the pandemic happened. And so it was cut short a bit, but we hope to revive that as well. Uh, we have a youth engagement effort. So in the appendix of the report, if you've had a chance to look through that, that talks about our youth engagement effort that we did. Uh, that was actually a class that I ran uh, again, before the pandemic with community high school students to help students, youth learn how to be civically involved, that they actually have a role to play uh, in shaping the, their own community. Um, I was hoping to expand that program to other high schools and to perhaps even younger ages, but again, the pandemic hit. Um, and then we also have a developer public participation requirement, which seems that that should just be a given, but actually Ann Arbor goes a little bit above and beyond most communities in requiring that. So we do have a number of things that we're already doing related to engagement, but of course we can, there's always room for improvement and that's what we sought to do. Uh, and the next slide, and I can't remember if I left this in here, but there might be a slide on the engagement hub. Is that Current the next engagement hub? Yes. Yep, and I actually want to get back to that a little bit later. So if you don't mind skipping that for now, I'll get into the steering committee, which is the next slide. So we really wanted to turn this process over to the community and get really have the community drive this. Tends to be long term. She'll need to reconnect with her. Heather, you want to see if you can come back? She's probably speaking. You think she doesn't know? What if you hang up? Yes, I think she's just. Okay, she can come back. <clears throat> Okay, while she's coming back, <laughs> let me mention that Denise was kind enough to send around some information about the, con the county uh, advisory council on um, reparations. Oh, here she is. Okay. Uh -huh. okay, we'll get back to this. All right, I'm back. Sorry about that. Okay. The Zoom follies that we live with. Um, yes. We uh, sent out um, flyers to housing commission sites. Uh, we actually um, sent them out through Meals on Wheels. So that's a new partner that we engaged with. We put it out through a community newsletter, email distribution list, through schools. So we worked with the schools to pass it out um, so kids could take it home to the parents. Or we were actually looking for youth representatives as well. So um, people high school age and older could apply to be part of this. Um, and we also created a video, um, a kind of a PSA thing that we worked with CTN to distribute. So we got 80 applicants, which was way more than we expected to, um, which shows really that this is something that the community is craving. 
we felt that 80 people working with a steering committee of 80 people would be a little bit um, unwieldy for us. We weren't really prepared to do that. So we narrowed it down to 30 representatives. That was still a lot of people, but we, we didn't really want to cut it any further. We met monthly for about a year and a half, and we started off with defining equity and our core values and then develop recommendations, which I'll get to at the end. So the equity definition that the group came up with is here, what should be on your screen, if you don't mind going to the next slide. And what the group came up with is that equity is the fair and just practices that ensure all community members can thrive. Equitable practices acknowledge and address structural inequities, historic and current, that advantage some and disadvantage others. And that is distinguished from equality, which is treating everyone as if their experiences are the exact same. So from there, we really engaged in a shared learning experience together. And we reviewed, um, again, where we're at as a community. And we did this by exploring the Opportunity Index. And that's something that the county has put together. If you aren't aware of that, I'd love to share that link with you um, because that really shows a, a mapping, giving a geographic distribution of um, where there's more opportunities than not. So we looked at the opportunity index, we reviewed our demographic data, uh, we reviewed the engagement toolkit with the group for them to review and critique. We reflected on engagement efforts that the city was currently engaged in. So we did a review of the ARPA uh, funding effort and the engagement effort that was involved with that and the good, the bad and ugly with that. Uh, we looked at land use planning. So we had our planners come in and talk about that and what's on the horizon for the comprehensive plan that's coming up. We looked at affordable housing, so we had Jennifer Hall come in and talk about that. We talked about city hiring practices. We talked about sustainability efforts. And then, of course, getting into the meaningful blocks of, of uh, or the building blocks of meaningful engagement. So on the next page, um, this is something that the group came up with that we didn't end up putting in the report, but I thought this was a useful analogy that uh, we really needed equitable engagement to create good footing to address these other topics which are identified as the toes so how can the good footing of engagement influence these topics um, and so from there i'll just cut to the chase and talk about the recommendations that the group came up with so on the next slide you can see our first recommendation and the purpose behind this recommendation, which is demonstrate the city is committed to advancing equity, um, is because people who have been minoritized and marginalized will not engage with the city if the city is not representative or clearly committed to supporting equity. So the, I'll just quickly go through, sorry, did somebody have a question? I heard somebody speak briefly. No, we're okay. No, we're on the right line. Now, recommendations. Okay. Yeah, recommendations. Okay, recommendation one. Um, so under that is that the city intentionally hires minoritized individuals, especially in higher level position, positions. Number two, create transparent and meaningful pathways for promotion of minoritized individuals. Number three, appoint racially and ethnically minoritized candidates representing impacted communities perspectives to boards and commissions. Number four, city council adopts and enforces policies that ensures decision-making be equitable. Uh, number five, be authentic. Six, build trust and transparency through continuous outreach and relationship building. 
And then on the next slide is the second recommendation, which is provide both ample and targeted invitations to engagement opportunities. And the purpose behind this recommendation is that people need to be made aware of opportunities in addition to feeling welcome and valued at engagement events. And under this, we have translate and transcreate meeting notices and content addressing the most common languages first. Two, use non-digital ways of getting the word out. So again, going back to things like flyers, um, getting the word out through informal networks, actively recruiting BIPOC to participate in engagement events, and then five, create an online engagement hub that is easy to find and easy to use. The third recommendation on the next slide is to provide the resources necessary for staff to conduct meaningful engagement. And under that, we have ensure a budget for community engagement and make sure that it is scaled appropriately to the issue. Number two is continue and increase staff training and conducting quality engagement. Number three is to continue to use and evolve the city's community engagement toolkit. Number four is to create suitable measurements and milestones for successful engagement. And on the next slide, we have the fourth recommendation, which is to make engagement events more accessible and attractive. And the purpose behind this is that is to have engagement events um, that are easily accessible, uh, seem important, and that do not feel hostile, that which has been deterring people from engaging. So number one, hold hybrid meetings at different times, making recordings available. We have found since the pandemic that um, people are really actually liking the ability to come on, come in through Zoom um, instead of having to come downtown, come to City Hall, it makes it a little bit easier for people. Um, you know, you can have your kids running around you, you can uh, be eating, you can be in your pajamas. So people do like the hybrid meetings. Um, Number two, provide various ways to provide their input to avoid dominant narratives from taking over. Number three, use and enforce ground rules that support honoring the dignity of individuals. And I'm seeing that some of the words have been cut off. I apologize for that. I can send a revised copy of this presentation to you. Number four, hire trained meeting facilitators and moderators to create space to heal wounds. Number five, clearly communicate the decisions, the decision-making process, who makes the decision, and the level of influence the community has over the decision. And number six, take time to celebrate and experience joy as a community. So those are the recommendations. And then looking at promising practices, again, this is the research that we put into to see what other communities are doing that has been successful and led to more equitable engagement. One of the big things is community liaisons, and that's something that we've already put a budget request in to do. So paying people to become liaisons as part of our projects, especially our capital projects going forward. Um, and then measuring participant satisfaction. So always checking back in with the community to see how the process is going, how it went, what we can do better the next time. Using a mix of meeting styles, so not always the traditional town hall, but having different ways of engaging with people. A lot of people um, don't really like to come to a meeting where you have to come up to a podium. It feels very intimidating. So having meeting styles where um, 
engagement is dispersed throughout the 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 room where people can go to different stations and it's not just um, one person standing there talking and then passing the mic to the next person. Uh, the next one is having information kiosks throughout the city. So we're reaching out to all over places in the city. So really getting out to people, which is a lesson learned over and over again, that we really need to go to where people are at, not just expect them to come to where we're at. And one way to do this is having information kiosks around the city where people can just find information, perhaps take a survey at the kiosk. Um, doing surveys and polling, people really like our surveys. Um, that seems to be an easy way for people to engage. Um, so, uh, because it can just be distributed in a variety of different ways. And then our engagement hub. So this is what I wanted to dive into a little bit further. This is something that we've already getting, we're already getting started on. Um, if you don't mind going to the next slide. So this is an example of an engagement hub um, that shows a, a landing page where that um, presents to the public how, how they can engage. So it provides all the different projects that people can become involved in, as well as different volunteer activities and ways to contact the city. Um, this seems like something that's really basic, but we don't really have anything like this in place that's as robust. We, what we envision is something that people can just go to and just have all the information at their fingertips about how to engage with the city and make it really easy for them. So uh, we worked with a team of U of M students actually to explore this and look at the best practices from other communities on this. And then we're already making some revisions to our existing website. But what we hope to do is to hire a vendor to set up something like what you're seeing here on the screen. Again, to make it very visual and easy for people to engage with. And that's really it for the presentation. I didn't want to take too much time on your agenda because I know that you had a tight agenda, but if anybody has any questions, I'm happy to go over anything in, in a little bit more detail. Thank you, Heather. Other questions? Mm -hmm. Are there questions? Oh, yes, I, I oh. actually have a, <laughs> have a question. This is Keita Cowan, Commissioner. Um, could you give me some context? I think I am confused. Uh, is there a larger um, diversity, equity, and inclusion sort of program of which engagement, you know, is one sector? Like, is there one that is examining um, hiring practices, salaries, recruitment, you know, so one that's sort of internally focused on the organization? Uh, so that would be one. Then another one would be an impact assessment to see how historically Ann Arbor City policies uh, and funding programs have impacted different communities. So, you know, both of those sort of global assessments tend to be conducted, you know, sometimes simultaneously with the initiation uh, of the kind of efforts that you describe, but it doesn't sound like that's happening yet, is it? Perhaps I'm just lost. Well, yeah, no, it's on the horizon. So we do have our Office of Equity, which Laura Orta, if you haven't met them, um, is was hired to, to lead that. 
And so they came on board as this was already in process. But I know under that office, they'll be looking at things like hiring practices and the organization in general and how we are advancing equity just as an entire organization. And this would be, this will eventually kind of fall under that. This was, it's kind of its own initiative and it really came up from staff and some council members over a year ago that was really just kind of questioning how decisions were made and who was influencing the decisions. And so we wanted to just address that because what we, you know, again, what we found with our demographics that it was the same profile of people that were coming to our meetings and really having a lot of influence and not just the same profile, but in many cases, it was the same people that were coming to the meetings. And so we wanted to find ways that would disperse that influence and really maybe even weight it the other way, you know, to make it elevating the voices that haven't been heard in the past and people that were most affected by projects. As far as the impact analysis, that has not been done to my knowledge. I think that would be an excellent thing to pursue. We know just very generally, and this is just from my perspective as a planner, we know some of the harms that planning practices have done in the past and how that has impacted Ann Arbor generally in terms of spatial segregation. But I don't think that anybody at the city has done a real impact analysis and looking at our policies in place and what has been the outcome of them over time. Okay, so I remember reading, I don't know if other folks do, I think it was last year, a study done on the racial distribution within city hall, city government. And I noted, for instance, that your group talked about land use policy, right, like zoning, which I think is really right. And I also remember that the planning department, right, I don't think has any, for instance, African-American staff, at least not when this article was written. Those kinds of, you know, issues, how would they, like, is that something we would bring to your office if people in the community wanted to see an RFP issued? What should we do? Yeah, that's a great question. Yeah, one of the things that happened during our time as a committee was very early on was an article came out, and maybe that's what you're referring to, that was showing that the city staff is primarily white, especially people who are in higher positions. So that's something that we talked about extensively was, you know, how can you really trust the city, you know, if the city staff isn't representative? And so that's why we got into talking about hiring practices so much. And so that would really be Laura Orta's office to talk to about that. As far as issuing RFPs, each department does that themselves. They go through our procurement office, but I think there is room to have conversations about standards of how to write an RFP to attract 
consultants that will really have a strong equity lens. And I know that we have been putting more and more language in there, um, but I, you know, again, it can, there's always room for improvement and we don't have a, um, a standard that's um, being emphasized across the organization. And we are in as touch with Laura. We're going to hear from her soon. Mm -hmm. Tegan. We're, we're in touch with Laura and we will, we, we will have, we will have uh, her in. in you know, our, I can't hear. Yes. <laughs> we are in touch with, with Laura or, or Ted is. Orta. 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 Mm -hmm. uh, and, and I think there will be. That's uh, something we can we'll, we'll address be, with her. Yes, I think so. Okay, great. Well, and so this is Diana. Hi, Heather. Um, and I had the um, honor of actually being a member of this group. Um, and so it was a, the group of 30 of us was a very diverse group of people um, from throughout the community, all different ages, all different backgrounds, all different races, ethnicities, um, abilities. And we were really um, mainly, uh, Heather tried to keep us on task, um, which was sometimes difficult, um, to really focus on how, how do we get the message out, right, as, um, or how does the city get the message out to connect to our community? Um, and I, you know, I looked at it kind of two ways. One is as a member of the community, right? Like, how do I get the information? Um, how do I learn about the Human Rights Commission as a citizen? Um, or how do I learn about what the mayor is doing or the city administrator? But then there's also the, the piece of, um, you know, things like the things you hear in the media or different things like that. And so it, it's kind of um, really engaging the community and learning about the different ways that the people in that group and their communities and where they're at, how they want to be communicated with. And so it was very interesting because I think we've talked about it here as, as a group. You know, how do we advertise the Human Rights Commission? How do we get into the community so that people know we exist? And um, so it was, it was kind of a learning opportunity for me in two ways, right? Um, you know, because I never thought about, you know, putting up a flyer in a community center mm -hmm. as being something that is so important mm -hmm. to minority populations. Um, but there are people that were speaking on this call that I was on for the last year and a half who are saying, yes, we need this. Yes, we need the Zoom calls. Yes, mm -hmm. we, we don't want to go to a podium and stand. Um, you know, there are, we're met with hostility and stuff like that. And, and so it was really, um, I mean, I think the recommendations that we came up with um, 
And I, I can't even say we, because I'm not a person who is typically marginalized at meetings like this. Plus, I'm pretty sassy, as you all know. So <laughs> I, I don't have any problem going up and standing at a podium. Um, but I think that, um, you know, we all know that there are people that are. And so it's, it's just, it was just really interesting. But we were really focusing on working on trying to make the city aware that having these meetings in a forum like this is not the way. It's not the only way, and we've got to do better. Um, we've really got to get out there and get into the community. We've got to stop just posting stuff on the website. Um, and so I hope that the work of this group will amplify that. Um, I do think that all of the things you're talking about still need to be addressed, um, but it wasn't something that we had the bandwidth to, to talk about or um, address. It wasn't really our lane. lane. Well, listen, I applaud your efforts. Participatory democracy, right? not to be underestimated in terms of its impact on the policies that are created. So uh, it's wonderful, the report and the work that you've done. So thank you. I just thought, oh, well, this must be one pillar of six or seven pillars. So we just have to go off and start those as you guys have begun. So thank you. Thank you very much. I, I had a question. Uh, for Heather, I guess I was wondering if you could give our commission recommendations about changes to our own procedures based on what, what you found. What would be kind of your top three suggestions for things for us to consider? Yeah, I think number one is really getting the word out um, and doing it in a variety of ways, not just the good old social media, relying on that. Because I don't think a lot of people know about the Human Rights Commission and the work that you're doing. So definitely getting the word out and um, and you know, there's really creative ways that you could be doing that. Um, and then the other way, you know, like th this is a little bit hard with this structure because it's just kind of structured this way. Um, is that you know this kind of room setup is intimidating? Can be intimidating mm -hmm. to a lot of people. Um, it's it's hard to change this because you have CTN set up in this. Uh, room the way it is so that it can be done in a hybrid way. So that that's the good news. But um, ideally, if there's ways just to make it, uh, I don't know, just kind of a different room set up or to move locations, that would be helpful. I think that's very hard with our boards and commissions for the reasons I said. Um, but maybe thinking through ways um, like that. Um, and then really, I, I think um, I'm going to refer to my report. Let's uh, bring it up. Not my report, but the committee's report. Because um, there's a lot more detail in here, so I encourage you to read through it if you can. Um, recruiting people, you know, to be on your board and commission, always looking for that. Um, people who have different perspectives and um, can provide insight there. Um, and then if you do any sort of engagement event, one thing that I didn't go deeply into is really developing community engagement um, plans with care and maybe playing a role with that, with the city, a stronger role with that and with some of the bigger projects that are coming out there. 
um, and helping provide that thought as a community engagement plan is being developed and really thinking about the equity um, things that you need to be thinking about. So who's just disproportionately benefiting maybe from a project or being disproportionately negatively impacted potentially from a project. So just thinking through that with staff, I think would be really helpful. Mm -hmm. Anything yeah. else? We, we do have, we've got to move on. Hmm? So I, we don't, we don't have too much time. So is there any other questions? <laughs> Thank you very much, Heather. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate being here. Okay, thank you. And we still don't have the. No. Okay, so we will go on. This is something we should be talking about. As come, come. Something we should be talking about as we plan things. Keep yes, this, this I agree. perspective I mean, I in actually, mind. Yeah. I think I see another subcommittee coming. Could be. <laughs> And you might be on it. <laughs> you should be on it. Um, but in the meantime, um, but, but in, in, in the same, uh, we were talking about the council on, rep, on reparations. Uh, you've got the information. It is something that's going countywide. It's something that looks very interesting. And they, they want a 24-month commitment from some number of people who are what they call content experts, and I think any there's mm -hmm. a lot of that in this group. There's a lot of that in the people who are watching this, this presentation. Please consider applying. If you don't have the information about it, um, mm -hmm. contact the HRC and we'll make sure you get it. Fair? Okay. Um, we talked about complaints. I, I, the trespass, I just want you to know that we're still waiting for the, uh, we're looking for a form that will change, that will start a process that changes the policies that are being used for trespass um, and, and how to treat the violations. And um, hopefully we'll get that next time. Um, contractor compliance. What I know, the city of the, the non-discrimination, uh, the um, non-discrimination ordinance that this that the Human Rights Commission enforces, not only works for the people um, who live in the city or people who work in the well, it also works with for people who work in the city, and um, and people who uh, companies who contract with the city have to let their employees know that they are covered by the Ann Arbor Human Rights um, Ordinance. Uh, every year we join with the city's purchasing department to confirm that they that the contractors are complying and posting the main points of the ordinance and are making the ordinance available. And it's part of our annual report. We've got a two, you've seen the first part. This is the second part. But this is for 2021 also. It's, it's, it's not, it's, pandemic has made everything a little bit slower. Uh, but we need you to, pro, we need you to pass it so that it can be sent to council. Pam Meadows 
wants to, uh, she needs to give some uh, explanation about what those numbers mean. Um, I don't think you have to understand the numbers, don't, but you have to have to understand the process and what we're doing here. Pam, you want to take over? Certainly. So here's a demonstration of <laughs> what that, num that report looks like. <laughs> Colin Spencer sends us um, the names get, yeah, thank you. of all of the contractors who do business with the city um, quarterly. And then he gives us that uh, information annually. It comes in a very uh, concise, hard-to-read spreadsheet. Mm -hmm. So I take it and print it, and it looks like this. Oh, my God. For one quarter. Okay. Right? And so what you see is a summary of that. And so I, I tally the number of contractors quarterly, and then I dissect it from all who... Um, all of the contractors for that quarter who receive a contract um, totaling $100,000 or more. Then I break that down to those who may receive a contract totaling a million dollars or more. And then I look through that to see of all of those contractors for that quarter, how many contractors are from the Ann Arbor area. And then um, we just summarize that based on the total amount that the city contracted with and that they expended for that quarter. So each quarter is like a calendar quarter, January to March, April to June, July to September, October to December. And we do percentages of that. I'll just summarize what you've received and that is of the four categories, total number of contractors, those over 100K, those over a million, those from Ann Arbor, there are the least number of persons from Ann Arbor hmm. that are doing business as a contractor with the city of Ann Arbor. So based on that and the ordinance, we are charged as a commission to confirm that that information is being done per the ordinance. So for example, um, one of the requirements is that um, individuals who contract with the city are supposed to post our ordinance and prominently display it somewhere on their premises so that their employees will know their rights. We have relied upon the city to tell us when they do on-sites confirming the work being done, that that poster is prominently displayed. Pandemic kind of slowed us down, but we're going to get back on track and um, confirm by just checking the Ann Arbor, not all, there's usually less than 10 per quarter who actually have contracts from Ann Arbor with the city. That number is kind of dismal because there are no less than 70-plus contractors per quarter who do business with the city. So of those contractors, less than 10% are from Ann Arbor. Mm. Um, so some of the things that we're going to be exploring is what does that 
RFP, that proposal looked like that they put out to contractors to do business with the city? Where are they actively posting that information and then confirming that the contractors are actually compliant with posting that poster, the NDO, the non-discrimination ordinance? Um, so we are going to look into that and then have a follow-up meeting with um, Colin uh, Spencer, the purchasing um, person for the city. And that's what you have a summary of, and that's what those numbers reflect. In and of itself, this looks worse than it actually is, and it doesn't really take that long, but it's something that we do to ensure that the city is compliant with our ordinance. And we're just confirming that, and then they then take that same information, present it to council, and then council acts on it. And so we just wanted you to have that information mm -hmm. and just let you know that we're compliant with that piece of the ordinance. Are there uh, any questions about this? Yes. It's just out of curiosity, <laughs> mm -hmm. on that massive spreadsheet, mm -hmm. uh, are the demographics of the contractors noted, like who owns the company? We do have the, the that's how I know that only, always every quarter, less than 10 are from Ann Arbor. Mm -hmm. All of the rest are from all over. So for instance, the gender and race of those receiving the highest dollar amount contracts, we could go back and assess that? We would have to dig further for that information because what's sent to us is, for the most part, the name and the address and the contact person and the amount of the contract. Okay. However, that is one of the questions that I raised with Colin because I wanted to ensure that we don't know if any of these, for example, are WMBO women minority business owners. Mm -hmm. Now, the ordinance doesn't mandate that they do that, but there's a way that they can obtain that information. I've had this conversation with Leslie. Mm -hmm. Every employer, every contractor is required to complete an annual EEO-1. If you're unfamiliar with that, mm -hmm. that lists the nine categories of whoever makes up that business mm -hmm. that, that specifically identifies gender mm -hmm. and race and skill set. Okay. And, and so e while they're not... One. Exactly. Every employer is mandated to do that annually. Cool. And a quick copy of that from those contractors mm -hmm. would readily identify that information. Yeah. Very good. Thank you. Okay. So next step. Um, but this is still, we're, we're going to get another one of these in 2002 because we're falling behind. Another, An I, another you know, I can't task. hear you unless you're in the speaker. Oh, yes. <laughs> Thank you. I'm talking to real people. You know, let's talk about engagement. I, I know. Um, we are going to get another set of data from purchasing in early spring, I think, mm -hmm. for 2022. So we will have, it's still old data, but we will be getting all the data. We'll be getting, we'll be getting more data. Do we I know hope. whether the report will include demographics or should we no. make arrangements oh. to go forth and examine those? Do we? The HRC need to examine those, or can we make a request for that? We, we, for 2002, I think we, 2022, I think we'll have to do that. Okay. Or we'll have, we'll, we'll get, we'll, we'll get more than we get now. Mm -hmm. All right. Would we have to 
Would we have to change the non-discrimination ordinance to gather that information or request that information no, or require this is, it? This is actually on the EEO one. I think first we should assess. Yes. Yeah, and see where we are. Yeah. And to know whether we need to right. look at amending the NDO because you know it is concerning when um, when vendors and employees don't reflect the community. You've got to ask why, because no, I hope no one is going to argue right, yes. that there are no black qualified people anywhere right within reach. Or. Well, no. one of the um, ways that I think it may be a little bit premature to amend the ordinance to request that because includes in, in the current um, language is uh, information where we can elicit that without it you know, amending the ordinance. Right, exactly. So for example, a piece of it says, if anyone is a federal contractor, mm -hmm. they are mandated in our ordinance mm -hmm. to um, engage in efforts to hire locally. Mm -hmm. And so that's in our ordinance. Mm -hmm. And so we don't know that, mm -hmm. and that's why we want to verify that the poster is prominently displayed. The onus is on the city who have individuals who are ensuring that the contract is being complied with. And at that time, they have the opportunity to go on site mm -hmm. and look to see or request to see mm -hmm. where that information is displayed. Mm -hmm. But if any of them are federal contractors, mm -hmm. they are mandated per our ordinance to, to um, make efforts to uh, um, hire locally. As I had a conversation with Leslie, that's a simple requirement. They need only post their positions with the local unemployment office, mm -hmm. and they've met that burden or that requirement. We mm -hmm. don't know that that's being done. And I think it's um, presumptuous of us to assume that it's being done without any proof. What? So, what? <laughs> so what? we're going to do a little bit more than what we've done in the past just to ensure that at least we're not taking it as gospel we're we're being we're going to substantiate that it's being done mm -hmm. and that is a requirement to be compliant with the contracts that they have yeah and you know with an assessment sometimes you're surprised mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. we i don't we also don't want to assume there's a problem no. before mm -hmm. we know mm -hmm. <laughs> um can we look at the the data that we have for 2021 and simply approve it so that that part could be submitted to city council. Okay. We have a motion. A motion. A motion to to approve it. I move mm -hmm. to I move to um, present the um, information as written to the city council. Second. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Passed. Thank you. Okay. Where are we next? Um, no, there's a University of Michigan Know Your Rights presentation that we've been talking about for, I think, a whole year now, and we are going to meet on on Friday there will be a meeting to discuss this with uh, the people from the uh, LSNA student government and um, the 
can't think of what it's called, the uh, Title IX Department of the University, because they're going to do part of this presentation. They will do as far, so far it looks like they will do the, they will do Know Your Rights for on campus and we will do for off campus. And um, it'll be a Zoom and I don't know very much about it and I, I will find out on Friday when we start making decisions, but you'll hear more about that. Um, question for Sarah. Is she still here? Yes. yes. I am. Hi, Sarah. Hi. Sarah, Hi. at our last yes. meeting, you suggested you were going to do, be doing some, um, some uh, exploring opportunities for us to help um, with LGBT issues, probably including trans issues. Yeah. So um, I reached out through, I'm a member of the World Professional Association for Trans Health. Um, and so I reached out through our member listserv and asked if anyone had experience um, with what would be possible at the local level to affirm trans rights. Um, and had two people get back in touch. So the first person, um, Brandon and I met with her and um, they are a psychologist who um, was very active. Uh, their name is Christina Patterson in uh, work with the American Psychological Association to have a position, official position statement against conversion therapy, which I know uh, the commission was uh, very involved with that kind of work last year. Um, and so we talked to Christina, and then after that, Christina also connected me to Melissa Gray, who's another psychologist who's actually based in Ann Arbor. Um, and she was also very involved in this work with conversion therapy, and both of them had done some work lobbying on the state level for different state level um, legislation. So basically from, from speaking to them, and Brandon, please add if I'm um, forgetting anything, um, Basically, it sounds like a lot of the work is happening at the state level in a lot of places. And so they were a little bit uncertain about, you know, which pieces can actually be translated to local level legislation. Um, some potential ideas um, that were suggested um, was um, piece, uh, legislation around affirming um, trans rights around using bathrooms of their choice that match their gender. And so uh, Christina was saying that she knew of some legislation that um, basically says um, that if you are building or you have a single stall restroom, it has to be labeled gender inclusive. You're not allowed to make it a single gender restroom if there's only one stall there. Um, and that's sort of like something that uh, was relatively easy to gather support around um, and also you know they brought in folks who were disability rights advocates and folks who you know um, wanted men to be able to access restrooms that had changing tables because that's not always the case so there are a lot of people who benefit from uh, this type of legislation that says that you know single stall restrooms have to be um, gender inclusive um, at the same time Christina um, acknowledge that, you know, you may want to check with uh, trans folks in your community about whether this is like the highest priority for them. So, um, you know, in some communities, this may not be like, see, appear to be the most urgent need. Um, 
at the same time, it could be a nice way to kind of build momentum and support and some coalition building around something that maybe hopefully is relatively easy to to pass um, and make some sort of at least a small difference. Um, the other suggestion was to look into potential um, sanctuary laws and um, mm -hmm. these um, have been passed um, in the past. I think um, Melissa thought that there was one on the county level in Washtenaw County potentially around like sanctuary laws around immigration status. Um, but basically sanctuary laws around gender affirming medical care and abortion care. And so um, these are typically passed at the state level, but she said maybe it would be interesting to look and see if they could be passed at the local level. And basically these sorts of laws um, proact would proactively define these types of healthcare as protected and shield people so that they can't be investigated by another state if they come to Ann Arbor to get gender affirming care or reproductive health care. Um, and that these types of laws also will state that like we won't use our law enforcement resources to like investigate these um, types of behavior in any way, even if they're illegal in other states or wherever that person is from. Um, and so again, it was like a little unclear whether this is the type of legislation that could pass on the local level, um, but this would be another type of legislation to potentially um, look into. Um, the other suggestion was, you know, there are a lot of issues that disproportionately affect the LGBTQ community um, that aren't necessarily LGBTQ specific. Um, so we talked about, I think about a year ago, Council was um, debating whether to decriminalize sex work in Ann Arbor, for instance, um, and that did not pass at the time, but you know, that is something that disproportionately affects trans folks. Um, you know, different types of legislation that sort of, you know, may dis disproportionately affect LGBTQ people. So those were some of like kind of the initial thoughts. Um, they did suggest talking to Equality Michigan um, as an organization that might have some really good guidance about you know what legally is even possible to do at the local level so that was going to be my next step of folks to reach out um folks to reach out to and you know invite brandon and aiden and, and judah and whoever else is interested if um, anyone would like to reach out to them as well i uh, would love to have more folks on board to, <laughs> to 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 reach out to more people so I'll, I'll pause there and yeah excited to hear your thoughts um let me let me make one comment um if something is done at the state level we don't have to rep reproduce it at the local level it already it already will cover us right now we have better protections than the state by a lot i'm pretty sure um for, for can you be specific especially for trans mm -hmm. but also for lgbt because for mm -hmm. a long time state didn't have anything mm -hmm. we, and we were the only ones who covered it and we tried to cover it very carefully mm -hmm. but things have progressed and and you've, mm -hmm. you've brought up a lot of interesting ideas but I, I don't think we need to have a reproduction of a law that's that covers us in the state level because state trumps mm -hmm. local and anything that that's covered by the state we will cover um, okay. but there are lots of things you're seeing and lots of opportunities for us and, and one more I want to throw into your your bag of possibilities um, I was contacted today by the equity office um, um, and they are interested in having the Human Rights Commission 
look at how we can improve the the, the activities and the policies that are mentioned in the um, municipal equity index that goes to cities mm -hmm. every year. Although Ann Arbor appears to have 100 out of 100 mm -hmm. points, we want higher. <laughs> and we've lost some points, some of those extra credit points. You know, it, it's nice to live in this city. It, it is, <laughs> but you, I, and yet, We've got 100 points. That's right. And yet we see the, the huge disparities. Absolutely. So you've got a question. No, right? absolutely. Mm -hmm. So, yes, let's get every... Mm -hmm. So they're asking us to look at ways in which we can move that score even higher, which me really means, I mean, the score is nice, but what really means is changing some things even more thoroughly to get more equity. Yeah, we need more equity metrics. So right. uh, we will be talking about that too. And yeah, and something else I wanted to add, I think it literally just happened today, but um, the House uh, and Senate, they also passed uh, amendments to the Elliot Larson Civil Rights mm -hmm. Act of mm -hmm. 1976. So uh, that will be uh, basically codifying, or codifying, um, rights for the LGBTQ plus community mm -hmm. overall as well too. So they are now, um, to my understanding, will be added into the list of protected classes so they won't be able to be discriminated against in terms of their jobs, education, housing, mm -hmm. and public accommodations. Uh, so I think this is, uh, yeah, ginormous, uh, great step in everything. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, again, even though this is a great step, things still need to happen in terms of working with um, the overall community to make sure that the implementation is mm -hmm. also done properly as well and as, yeah, as much, of, as, much as possible in a trauma-informed uh, manner. So I think this can also be used to inform our work of how do we still continue to uh, support the LGBTQ plus community, uh, yeah, as we wait for yeah, this to be more right. actionable and implemented. When does it, when, do you know when that's expected, that vote? I think it literally happened today, where it's like, mm -hmm. it did pass. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes. So we'll get copies soon. Yeah. Oh, that would be great. Excellent. Then, oh, sorry. I also wanted to add, like, from the conversation, some other notes that were um, made were also in terms of education and kind of like the band books and, um, yeah, just making sure that that is also something to think about um, when we were talking with, uh, mm. I forgot her name. Uh, Christina. Our, yeah, Christina. Christina. Yeah. Uh, she also mentioned school sports and then um, she also mentioned uh, just protections and kind of like the public health aspect of HIV and for people who inject drugs mm -hmm. um, and needle transmissions and what Ann Arbor can do in that sense to help with uh, providing additional support and access for clean needles for people in a harm reduction manner. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, this so is some, Yeah, I think some of those pieces maybe also are collaborations with uh, yeah, school board, I think they mentioned, you know, making sure that sex ed that is in our public schools is, you know, trans and LGBT inclusive. Um, and then like the sports issue, of course, nationally is 
um, kind of a hot button issue. So looking at what, what do we have locally to kind of affirm um, protections for trans youth in, in our community. Um, so yeah, I think um, I'll follow up on my email to folks who are interested and maybe we can look at reaching out to Equality Michigan. Um, we kind of have these initial ideas, but not super clear on what's actually feasible or legally possible. So I think that might be the next step in terms of where to focus our energy. I'm wondering if there's a way, since we've been talking about engagement with the community, if there's a way that we can get this information out once this, we know this bill is passed and we know what it includes and what implications it has for us. It is passed. It, housed, it passed in the House today. Today, okay. So um, if, if there is something that we can do to um, make it clear to the schools, for example, to whoever needs to know. What, what do you want to advertise? I mean, we could advertise it. Um, what, I mean, we, I could changes? probably get it posted on the Jim Toy Facebook page. We need, if we do that, we need, somehow we need to let people know where it is so that everybody can have easy access. You want just the, you want just the LGBTQ protections posted? Is that what you're asking? Actually, what I'm thinking is, because we've, already, we've got a very good ordinance already, so that we ought to look at that, look at what we've already got, and find out what has it changed, what, what those, but but the ordinance. I'm not, yeah, I'm not an expert, but my understanding is that it sort of um, I think it brings their or the state level ordinance closer to what we have here. So I don't know that it will change much in practice at at, at our level, except you know of course I think there's a big psychological impact to marginalized communities of knowing that okay these protections are really enshrined and affirmed uh, like at every level of my of my government, and so I think like the kind of symbolic aspect is um, perhaps even one of the more the more immediate uh, impacts of this. Um, I think my understanding is that based on Michigan Supreme Court precedent, um, they have read like the sex protection on the basis of sex should also include sexual yeah. orientation and gender identity, but it wasn't specifically like explicitly in the law that you can't discriminate based on sexual orientation and gender identity. So. Um, this just really firms up that protection that pre previously was only a court ruling and now will be in state level law. But, you know, of course, our non-discrimination ordinance at the local level already has those protections, which is great. Huge plus one. And then additionally as well, just for trend, like, uh, point of clarification, I'm unsure. I'm very positive that I believe the governor has not yet signed this mm -hmm. bill, correct? It just passed in the House. So right. It, it just passed in the House. It does, yeah. well. it does have to be signed. Thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I guess I'm just not clear what you, because Sarah just talked about a whole lot of things that are not currently under, that are not currently protections for LGBTQ plus community members, including the transgender community in the city of Ann Arbor. And so, there are things that we could work on as a commission, like doing a city ordinance that mandates all single stall bathrooms in Ann Arbor businesses to be non-gender 
bathrooms, right? It, that's, right. Uh, I mean, that's a goal or that's a an item, but that doesn't have anything to do with legislation. I mean, that's not legislation, that's an ordinance, and right. that's something we put forward to city council. Right. I'm thinking that, I don't know, because I don't know, I, I haven't seen exactly what's been passed, but mm -hmm. I do know that what is even in our ordinance is not that well known, not as well known as it probably should be. And this would um, firm up policies that we have already, that are already in the ordinance, like access to the bathroom of the gender that you, that is part, that, that you feel you are, for example. Um, so is the ask just once the governor signs the bill, if she should, so chooses, is just to publicize that this happened, here is the details of the bill? That might, that might be enough. Okay. Um, I don't know. I guess I get. I don't know. I think. I think. I think it. I think it's useful for somebody to look at it. Look at what we've got. See what if, if we've got anything extra that we ought to let people know, and and um, let people know that the, some of the the uh, protections that are in our ordinance are now all over the country, or all over the state rather, and that and people don't know that. Um, Ann Arbor is a funny place. It's got little pockets of townships all over the city. And we're getting lots of people who are coming to us, even like from Pittsfield Township, with, with things that we're cover, we, we cover, but they don't. Mm -hmm. And they think they should because maybe they have an Ann Arbor mailing address, for example. And this allows a much for, for much broader coverage of some of the benefits that we've had and, and maybe we're not even using, maybe schools, for example, might not be using all the protections that we, that the ordinance already covers or that the state now is cover, going to cover. I just don't know, but I think somebody should look at it and see what, what kind of, um, what kind of publish, publishing of, the ordin of this, inf this new information is needed and where it should be published. It's just. Okay, so what I think you're saying is take the non-discrimination ordinance that we follow for our commission and compare that to the Elliott-Larson bill once the governor signs it and see if there are better protections under Elliot Larson for LGBTQ plus community members. And then if there are, publish that so that our community members know that um, statewide now there are better, further, larger protections. And so that people in townships where perhaps our ordinance doesn't cover them, will now know that the state laws will cover them even when Ann Arbor City ordinances don't cover them. And I think that, I think that's a fine idea. We can do that. Um, 
I think then that we could cover or we could post that through our city website, like our own HRC website, and then we could use it, we could share it on social media in different ways. And I can, I'm sure I could get it published on the Jim Toy website. I really think that beyond the website and sharing to our social medias, this is going to be all over and already is on MLive Detroit News, free everything. I feel like the word will be sufficiently out there if we want a permanent sort of resting place for people to know about these added protections. Our website should be more than appropriate, and then we can also utilize our existing resources okay. beyond, uh, thanks to Diana as well. Right, I, I think it's just an opportunity to highlight that we've had already these protections in place in Ann Arbor. The state is catching up. Uh, <laughs> I doubt that they've exceeded what we have, but it's just another chance to let people know what their rights are and also that they already had them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I yeah. I, I'm thinking that our website is, is one place, social media is another place. I, again, I'm wishing that there, is, there was a common place that we thought everybody went to, but I don't think there is. You may be right that people, that the word will, will um, get out quickly, but it'll be a lot of pieces of the word. I mean, I mean, we can just directly share what has passed, I mean, the, the, mm -hmm. the entire bill. Uh, but beyond our website and social media channels and partnerships with the city, I'm entirely unsure of where else we would put this or would even have the capacity or authorization to post it. I think beyond just our website, that, that is the home for things. Like that is the certified source. And beyond that, we don't have too much of a hand in things. Okay. Well, thank you all. Interesting. I'm so, um, so I, I do have to run now, so apologies for not being there in person today and for leaving a little early, um, but I will follow up with, with those folks who are interested over email again and talk about next steps, and then we'll hopefully have more to present next month. Thank you very much, Sarah. Thank you. Okay. Um, old business. Okay, we've got two other issues we'd like to, to cover, and maybe we'll get out early, because it doesn't look like we're going to have the city administrator after all. <laughs> okay. Um, one of the things that's happened, you know, until maybe two years ago, we were not handling rent or housing very much at all. Mm -hmm. A little bit of discrimination in housing, but that was not a, a big uh, area for us, and it has become a much bigger area. Um, we right now, um, the non-discrimination ordinance deals with discrimination in housing on you know, all the protected classes. It also deals with source of income, and the fact that we have expanded the definition of source of income means that it affects people a lot. It means that, by and large, um, voucher is the same as money, and you can't discriminate between 
people who have who are going to pay it completely with cash, or people are going to pay it with check, or people are going to pay it with a voucher. Um, and that's made a big difference for a lot of people. We also now have the Fair Chance Access to Housing Ordinance, and that has made a very big difference. One of the things that I, Aisha has come up with, somebody who wants to learn from us, our experience in Detroit, uh, Kita is starting to expand and would like to. Plus, um, I've been contacted with um, a human rights commissioner from Lansing. Good. That also would like information about fair chance housing. Good. And because we people are starting to get interested, uh, I did what we probably well we we really couldn't do it much before. It's only been about a year, but uh, mm -hmm. uh, I checked around to see whether people are really profiting, really benefiting from the fair chance access to housing ordinance, and. It turns out that they are very much so doing this, that uh, people who are trying to place housing for people who are hard to uh, place mm -hmm. because they've had a, a felony in their past or in our incarceration, regardless of how many years it has been since they had this felony or incarceration or, or what the details were, um, have, not, have not been able to get housing here at all, and now they are able to do that. And um, I think it's, be, it's making a big difference, and with source of income, a very big difference. Um, there's now a renter's commission, and that commission is, has contacted us all also to um, talk to us about what we're doing, but we also need to talk to them about what they're they're doing, and somehow they're hard to reach. I've been trying to reach them for a month. Um, well, good, because <laughs> it's, it's not easy, um, even though they have a liaison who works for the city. Um, but I think we may, have, we may have to somehow have a liaison on that commission or some kind of arrangement so that we're in touch, because we're overlapping with them in many ways, and people are coming to us sometimes for their problems. And, mm. I mean, it, it's just getting confusing, but it's important. Um, Leslie, so, can I ask, what are they sure. monitoring, or what, are, what is their purview, they, the I mean, Renner's Commission? I am not sure, but it came out of the, um, the right to renew ordinance and the ordinance that had, yes, uh, that had to do with uh, Oh, when you could the timing of renewing the timing. your lease. <laughs> yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. But now there, there are people who are, you know, very interested in lots of rent, and, and we're getting lots of complaints about renting now. Mm -hmm. So, and, and we, and, and by the way, is there anybody here who knows an awful lot about renting? Hmm? Anybody who knows a great, you know, who, who specializes in it or knows a great deal about it? Okay, well, some of us, we're going to have to learn. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I just wanted to give you a heads up because that's coming up very, very definitely. Uh, one other thing I wanted to raise with you, and it again has something to do with the, the presentation that we saw today, um, having to do with outreach and having a new a mailing list. Human Rights Commission had a mailing list, something we started in 
after, after the tragedy around Aurora Rosser, when it was very difficult, we had a lot of questions to ask and to get answered. We wanted to reach into communities that the city had not reached in before. And um, we knew we needed a, an auxiliary mailing list, not, not something that would replace the cities. Uh, at the time, I think the city had 400 people on their mailing list. It wasn't very big. Um, I was never on it, and I'm still not on it. I don't know why. But lots of people aren't on it. If I'm not on it, I mean, <laughs> I, I'm kinda, I've kind of been active. And I don't know. I don't know how that happens. But what, what it, so, we, so we've had this mailing list. We, we used it. We used it to survey people. We used it to tell people that there were job openings in, on commissions that, that like the Human Rights Commission or the, um, when it was when it was formed the uh, Independent Citizens Oversight Commission. Um, we used it to. Um, to let them know that there were town halls. We used them, all kinds of things. It was very helpful. So that if something came up, this was a, this was a mailing list, we had to promise not to give it to the city. Hmm. So they would have a mailing and they, and they would ask us or we would ask them if we could send it to our mailing list as well. And it made a big difference in terms of um, peopling the, the uh, ICPOC, for example, mm. and getting information about what that commission needed in order to be successful. We have not used it for about four years, and it is out of date. And I want to know if you still think it's important. I thought it was important at the time, and I, when the unarmed response survey went out, I was very sorry that we didn't have it, although no one told us that, they, that it was going to come out and no one asked for it. Um, but we would be more proactive if we had it and if it was up to date. It takes some doing. It, it, it means we have to, you know, mail the list out, ask people if they still want to be on it. We have to you know, go out of our way to make sure that people we know are interested know about it. When we go places, we should tell people. If you don't have, if you're not on our, already on our mailing list and you want to be, please sign up. Um, we, don't gather, we don't gather any information except the person's name and their email address. And this is for persons and for groups that we think are specially interested in human rights kinds of issues. That's the only, mm -hmm. the only um, limitation or only requirement. So we're not, it's not very, uh, it's not invasive. Are you, are you thinking, are you agreeing that this is an important or, or what do you think about it? I see no harm. I think it's also terribly low maintenance. Again, this is something that we could put on our website. Should we have 100 people in a month or should we have 100 people in a year, uh, we can just have it auto-populate to our mailing list and then send out emails um, that we would likely already be sending out to community members or even ourselves uh, anyways. 
Uh, so I, 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 Denise is the master of all of these things, so frankly, I would default to her um, expertise, but I think that the actual uh, lift would be pretty light if we were to continue or refresh our prioritization of this. I, I guess I, my question would be, how do we ensure um, equity on our mailing list? I mean, it would be disastrous if it turned out that we weren't mailing to a representative uh, 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 in terms of diversity. Are we mailing to all age groups? Are we mailing to all income levels? Are we mailing to all ethnic groups? Are we, you know what I mean? Or are we just notifying? Well, well we, first of all, we would use the cities. And then we would make a separate mailing for things that were sensitive to that, to the group of people who we thought, who said they were interested in, in human rights. We would not be checking. Okay. I, I don't think we'd so, well, no, no. It, it's not that I expect the yeah. city to tell us, but then it would be incumbent upon us to make sure that we reach right. uh, organizations and groups where we can right, do a thorough outreach. That's all I meant. Like, that's right. It will fall on us to do that part. Yes, I think okay. that's true. Yeah, I, I would I'm, say that um, I also agree that it's a uh, good idea, but something that I feel like I've been hearing in this meeting in general is that we kind of just need to do more of a strategic planning session on what does our community engagement mm -hmm. and outreach look like in general. Mm -hmm. And I think that will give us a better sense of how can we best utilize this, how can we best format it, how can we innovate it, if mm -hmm. need be, um, what are some other locations or people that we also need mm -hmm. to reach out to as well. But I think right mm -hmm. now, from what I'm understanding, that needs to be a conversation about what does that holistic mm -hmm. um, communication outreach um, approach look like. But I think this is mm -hmm. a component of that, but it, yeah, needs mm -hmm. to be like a little bit more mm -hmm. workshopped, I think, overall, um, as we think about the next steps. Okay, yeah, I want to sign on to that. Okay. Anything, <laughs> anything else? <laughs> Yes, the ID project. The ID Next project, yeah. yes. Because Thank you. Because what I wanted to address uh, was this notion that maybe on our website, rather than have people who say have an experience where someone rejects their ID card, rather than have them fill out this, the complete complaint, we could have something shorter that just gave us where the ID was rejected, right? And if they want to be contacted, they can let us know. But something just to get us there. Because I really think that uh, with that kind of information, we can go and make contact with store owners and managers and you know, really like address it as it arises. But those forms are intensive. You know, all we'd need, I think, is, first of all, we'd need to find out, we'd need to make sure people knew that if they get rejected for a locally, local government for issue. any ID, any government issued ID. Every, any government issued ID, mm -hmm. they need to call us and let us know and let us know where. Or, or we could put it on the website and it could just be a, you know, a, a brief form. Okay. Mm -hmm. We could do that. I mean, I have been working with app developers to develop an app that just lets people say, you know, yes, it was accepted, no, it wasn't accepted, 
and have that shared through the community so that you know everyone will know go there or don't go there until we're able to intervene and set it right. Denise, is that possible? Is that easy? Well, we can get a. I can certainly ask IT to look into a short page that you can right. upload just the minor major information, mm -hmm. the name and address and location and zip code yep. of the um, store mm -hmm. or restaurant or whatever that would not accept the card. Yep, that's perfect. Is there something that could be done to provide a flyer with the ID that says if you have trouble with this? Well, sure, but I mean, it's what I, what I love about our... Uh, ordinance is it's about every ID. It's not just That's about true. the local government issued ID cards. So, you know, you might have a, an ID card from, I don't know, Texas, mm -hmm. and no one here has seen an ID from Texas. Well, you can't just reject it. You know, I mean, people, when they're uncomfortable right. or they don't want to follow through with a transaction, will come up with lots of reasons. Mm -hmm. um, so, yes, though, I think a flyer, um, that would be great. For Washtenaw. Um, I think I'll talk with the Office of the County Clerk, but really uh, for the kind of communication that we're talking about and for the folks we need to communicate with, this is really back to the points that um, the engagement right. Right, group was dealing with because it's, you know, it's those trying to convene folks on a Saturday because everybody's working two jobs, you know. That kind of push. But I think it's worth it. So yes, I want to do it. Okay. So let's do it. Let's do it. I mean, seriously. Mm -hmm. I, if I can pedal like street signs, I can do a pamphlet. I think so. <laughs> I trust you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> okay. I think we're done with this. Are we done with this? I think so. Yes. Yes. Um, are there com commissioner communications, things you want to tell us you think we ought to know? Yes. I have one, everyone. Oh, uh, tomorrow at the Ann Arbor District Library at 6.30 p.m. at the downtown location, feel welcome to email me for any other associated details. Uh, in response to the tragedy that happened in East Lansing on Michigan State University's campus, in collaboration oh. with Moms Demand Action, uh, we are having a town hall on uh, gun safety and reform mm -hmm. uh, with mm -hmm. State Senator Sue Schink and State Representatives Jason Morgan and Kerry Reingens. Uh, really, this is an opportunity for our community to voice their concerns, share their ideas, and ultimately just say their piece so that they can feel adequately represented in Lansing uh, when these legislators are making their decisions and, and pushing these proposals forward. Uh, if you do not feel comfortable talking or sharing your story, please just come to listen. I think that it will be a really central and, and major tenant in our healing as we think of our uh, sister community. Uh, so please feel welcome to come. It is tomorrow at 6.30 at the Ann Arbor District Library downtown location. Uh, it is also posted on the Ann Arbor District Library uh, events website and can be found there. If not, uh, feel welcome to email me. Do you know if it's going to be televised? Uh, it should be uh, live streamed, I believe. I'm unsure of the, the televised piece. Uh, that's something I can follow up with. Uh, and if so, I know that we have temporary live streaming links uh, that can exist for about two weeks. Uh, but yes. 
Great. Thank you. Of course. Thank you. Hope to see some of you there. Anybody else? If there's no one, yes? Motion to adjourn. Second. All in favor? Aye. <laughs> Thank you, folks. <laughs> we really didn't have time for guests. <laughs>